Dear friends in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who brings us joy in the promise of living in God's presence and favor always. Amen. Well, way to go. Nice job. You did it. I'm so proud of you. Words of affirmation and congratulations uplift the spirit, don't they? They lift us up because they give us the knowledge that we've done a good job and probably get us thinking that we are good because we have done a good job. We appreciate and we appreciate that we are noticed for being good for something in the world. And maybe, maybe even, we might think of ourselves as lovely and lovable for a time. We like people to notice when we do good, right? So much so that we even crave after it. We look for these kinds of words that tell us that we're on the right track so much that we don't just merely do a good job at things that we want to do, but we also don't stop until somebody says, hey, I see what you did there. We always want to be noticed and affirmed for doing good. We seek affirmation. We crave praise and we do all that we can to hear that we are right because somewhere deep inside of us, we live with these doubts, a deep sort of doubt about our worthiness to exist at all. This means, of course, that affirmation and recognition are not just nice things that we want, but they are, in fact, like food and water and shelter, basic things for life. Well, then here comes Jesus in Matthew 25 today, telling his disciples the parable of the talents, where two of the three slaves get to hear, well done, good, faithful servant, precisely the kind of words that we all long to hear. Come, enter into the joy of your master is exactly the kind of invitation that we wait for, that we might spend a whole lifetime and career waiting to receive. Here's your plaque. Hang it on the wall. Show it off to everybody. You've done a good job. Well done. And yet, oddly, even though there are two instances in this parable of these exact words, when I hear this parable, I'm probably a bit like you, I don't feel affirmed and secure, but rather, I get awfully nervous. Why, then, does Jesus' parable of the talents produce all this fear and anxiety in us? Well, you know, it's the third slave. He ruins it all. Affirmations truly are that puny, you know. It could have been 15 affirmed slaves, and it wouldn't have mattered. 
Because as soon as you come to the last one who gets judged, all the affirmations go out the window. That charge of wicked and lazy casts a dark shadow over all the affirmations, and we begin to wonder, am I being affirmed or judged? Where do I stand in all this? Where can I be confident? Oh, how we wish we could just stop Jesus' words right there before he gets to the third slave, leave out the rest of the story. Our need for affirmation constantly tempts us to look only on the positive, right? Keep your eyes on the bright side of things. Focus on the good that you want. Try to be, just try for a while, to be a glass half full kind of person and skip over all the harsh truths that come despite that. But Jesus' parable won't let us go that easily. For as we know, not everything is good, right, and fine in the world. And there is no amount of affirmation that is going to change that by pointing out the good. Yes, we can also go too bad pointing out the negatives, but that's not what Jesus is doing here either. Rather, he is preparing the disciples and us for this day of the Lord, this terrible day of judgment, which is right at hand. The parables of Matthew 25, that is last week, the, t the parable of the ten bridesmaids, today the parable of the talents, and next week the sheep and the goats are all told in the shadow of the end times and the hastening judgment day. And judgment, of course, is the opposite of affirmation, isn't it? Judgment threatens our life and it steals our peace. It creates angst and makes us uneasy. It puts us on the defense. Your entire life placed in the balance scales where the good that you've done is weighed against the ill that you have committed. So you know how this goes. Last week, you got a D on your math test. But you have a hope that if you get three A's in a row, you can cancel that out, right? You could have made do. You could balance it back to a respectable grade. You'll be able to forget that little blemish on your record as long as the scales come back into your favor. That is, given enough time and enough chances, each one of us believes that we can get the balances fixed for us. That we can tip the scales in our favor. And we hope that that will mean redemption and favor in God's eyes. And therefore, we want to put off the day of judgment for as long as we can, giving us that many more chances to get it right, so that as long as possible we are able to escape the judgment and perhaps 
with a little luck, with a little hope, with a little trying, escape, I mean receive God's affirmation. But when we're trying to balance everything out, you're still never quite sure, are you? Yes, you can look at all the good that you've done, but you don't know how much that weighs against the evil. So back to these three slaves in the parable with their talents. The man, their master, handed each of them an enormous amount of money. A talent is something like 15 years' worth of wages. So we can look and say the least that was given was like a million dollars. The master just gave them each a million dollars or more. And then he left, leaving no instructions or advice how to care for his interests. That could be quite a scary proposition, couldn't it? Yet two of these slaves immediately took their master's possessions, went out and traded, used it without any worry about what it would cost them or what mistakes they might make, and they doubled their money. Good for them. They seemed to think nothing of the risks that they might be taking, but instead trusted in their master beyond worrying what might happen to them. But the third buried the money so as to have no risk in losing it. For this third slave knew something different than the other two. I knew, Master, that you were a harsh man. So he could think of nothing but the punishment and the wrath that might befall him when his master would return. He was afraid. He was afraid of his master's judgment, and it paralyzed him and stopped him from doing anything. And so that every day that the master was gone was a risky proposition for him. Another day that the master was waiting for him to fail. It's a terrible way to live when every single day is lived in absolute fear of the master's return. Yet isn't that a little bit how we live, waiting for the end of the world and Christ coming back, fearing that any moment he might be here to take it all away, to snatch it away from our hands? Yet in the end, this slave decided that it was his best bet to do nothing. Just keep everything the way it was, right there in balance, no better no worse, no risk of judgment. In the end, the only way to win the no-win game in his mind was simply not to play. But in this parable, that's exactly the problem. The third slave misses completely the character of his master thinking him harsh and mean, rather than realizing how generous and gracious the master had been to him, not just with his money, but trusting him with it, 
handing it over to see what else he could do. All he could see was the impending judgment if he screwed it up. And so his fear consumed him utterly. The point of this parable is often taken to be use your God-given talents well. And I can see where people give that. But if Jesus was telling us to do our best and let God take care of the rest, I mean, if you had to really do your very best for God not to judge you, wouldn't you always be being judged by God? Wouldn't you always be under the threat, wondering, I wonder if I've done my best? Wouldn't you always have a doubt in your mind that said, I haven't quite done it all? As when Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. But there's more here than just an affirming word or a judging word. It's Christ's word that he's preparing us for. For Jesus' parable instead invites us to get off of the balance scales, to put aside our need for being affirmed as a basic human right, and check our fears at the door by trusting in God's generosity and grace. For it won't be much further into the Gospel of Matthew to the foot of the cross, where Jesus Christ will give himself away to take on the sin of the world, where he himself will be handed over and cast out into the day of darkness in order to save those who are enslaved and trapped in their fears and death. That is, he is giving us something other than, a, than bouncing or balancing between affirmation and judgment. Jesus is giving them a promise that there is no place that God's grace will not go to save them from the weeping and gnashing of teeth in order to bring you to life in the joy of your generous master. So from now on, when your fears try and consume you and your affirmations fail to give you this peace and you feel the threat of judgment all around Stand on Christ. Be bold and cling to his promise. For you have Jesus Christ as a Savior. He is your hope and your righteousness, your helmet and your breastplate, protecting you from judgment and wrath and granting you eternal life. Amen.